0: to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor at Light Reading. I'm joined by my fellow editor, Kelsey Zeiser. Hi, Kelsey.
1: Hi, Phil.
0: How's it going?
1: It's going pretty well. How about you?
0: Not too bad. Uh, guess what? We have a guest today. Oh, Um, We have a guest that is changing jobs over the summer, and as he is, he is digging into uh, how machine learning is being applied to several of the problems that network operators are having in both cellular uh, carrier networks and fixed uh, broadband access networks. Uh, Please welcome to the podcast, uh, the director of the Center for Data and Computation at the University of Chicago, Nick Feemster. Hi, Nick.
2: Hi, Phil. How are you? Good to be with you this afternoon.
0: Great to be with you as well. Thanks for uh, joining us. Um, so Nick, you were previously a professor in the computer science department at Princeton University, and you've taken a new job at University of Chicago uh, over the summer. Have you uh, have you completed the move uh, from from the coast to the middle of the country?
2: The moving truck arrives next week, in fact. So I officially started at the University of Chicago on July 1st, and I will physically be there starting about a week from now. Made a couple short trips uh, through July. So,
0: well, welcome to uh, to Middle America. Um, Thank you. <laughs> we, we all feel smarter that you've arrived. Um, Thanks a the, lot. Uh, so the the, the uh, CDAC, as it's called at the University of Chicago, is all about data science and artificial intelligence research. Um, what uh, uh, what? Let's start out by talking about your new role. Um, so what what are you going to be doing in your new role? What uh, what all does it entail?
2: Absolutely. So let me just tell you a few words about the center first. Um, thanks for teeing that up. Uh, the Center for Data and Computing is is a is a new center at the University of Chicago. It started uh, late last year. Um, so there's been an, an, an interim director. I'll be sort of the first non-interim uh, faculty director there. Uh, and the the mission of the center is to be an incubator for uh, all kinds of multidisciplinary. Uh, research involving data science and artificial intelligence at the University of Chicago. So there are a couple of important phrases there but one of the key phrases is is multidisciplinary. So right. uh, as we as we know, uh, machine learning, AI, data science are pretty much uh, touching and transforming just about every domain and discipline, including networking, which we're going to talk about today. Yes. Uh, But uh, the center aims to basically think very broadly in terms of how it brings uh, different people together on campus to solve uh, new, exciting problems, from uh, things that we're very familiar with, like communications, to uh, health and medicine, to broader questions about um, uh, policy and society, for example. The idea is basically that um, it should, you know, basically pushing the leading edge of, of data science research as well as tackling some of those important and interesting research problems where the data science hammers can be brought to bear. So we hope to see new data science, machine learning uh, research uh, as well uh, come to fruition as uh, we try to tackle new problems with these tools.
0: Excellent. Um, yeah, the uh, multidisciplinary is very important uh, for for sure, because I, I I think that one of the, um, uh, you know, one of the things that, that, like you pointed out that that this artificial intelligence is just going to affect everything. And I guess having, having several different views of it is going to be, um, you know, a, a better place to start. So, because it sort of might have this cascading effect, um, you know, on society and, uh, and and different industries as we go, I guess.
2: Absolutely. Uh, now, there, are, there, as we mentioned, there there are a whole bunch of industries that uh, that data science is already affecting. Um, but another thing I think that's worth uh, worth observing, and I think will will sort of come to light as we as we talk today, is that uh, many of the methods and underlying problems cut across areas and disciplines and and even industries. Um, so, for example. Problems in uh, detecting outliers in time series data, and doing that at, at scale, at high volume and high speed, uh, as we'll talk about. That's a you know problem that's very important in computer networking. It's also important pretty much anywhere where there's there's high volumes of time series data. Uh, you can imagine a lot of a lot of different scenarios where that comes up. So, as you mentioned. Um, the multidisciplinary aspect is a cornerstone because, you know, in solving a problem in data science and machine learning in one particular area, uh, the hope is that those methods, techniques, systems will be broadly applicable to a range of of problems across uh, a variety of different areas.
1: Right, exactly. And Nick, in a recent paper, you discuss some of the everyday tasks that service providers are tapping. Um, for machine learning, such as provisioning, performance and security. Um, do you have some examples of unique use cases for machine learning?
2: Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways that we can talk about that question. I think one is, you know, what's unique in networking uh, as far as problems where machine learning might open some, some new doors or, or help us tackle some, some longstanding problems. And the other is what's new for machine learning and and data science, uh, and I think we can, and what problems does networking present, where we might see some the need for some new uh, techniques or technologies in, in machine learning and data science. So let's talk about both. Uh, what is what does machine learning mean for networking, and, and how can it be applied? Well, I think um, broadly speaking, we can think about you know problems with in in networking where data is often brought to bear as performance problems and security mm. problems. There are a couple of other areas, but let's sort of start with those. The classic area in in networking uh, where um, you know service providers have been applying machine learning for more than a decade is security, right? So this mm. is malware detection, attack detection, denial of service attack detection, and so forth. And Actually, some of my own early research in this area was basically uh, analyzing network traffic to detect spam, email spam. And whereas everyone was looking at content, uh, we basically took a different approach of looking at you know properties of, of network traffic in terms of volume and time and so forth. And we were able to uncover uh, some new approaches and methods uh, there. So I think security will, will continue to be uh, an area where machine learning uh, is a useful technique. Performance uh, has historically been, um, you know, an area where uh, machine learning, you know, ha- wasn't directly applied, but increasingly it's, it's, it's becoming more applicable in the area of performance. And here's why, you know, kind of in the, in the old days of, of network management, it was relatively easy to directly measure the performance of the network because we cared about things like reachability. You know, is the other endpoint on the network reachable? And mm-hmm. you know, sending traffic to it uh, was enough to kind of shed light on that. Uh, and then we got interested in performance. You know, things like measuring the throughput. And again, you can measure throughput directly. It's pretty simple. You um, you know, try to send as many bytes across a network path. In a given amount of time, as you can, and then you divide bytes by time. In reality, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but you know, it's, <laughs> a, it's a direct yeah. measurement, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but now, performance uh, has become more than just reachability and raw throughput um, or latency, even, right? It's it's um, more subtle things like what's the performance of this video stream, and the performance of a video stream might mean is it rebuffering or what resolution is that video playing at?
1: Yeah. You don't want, you don't want buffering on your, um, your, your cat video. <laughs> exactly.
2: Exactly. See, it all comes back to, to making the cat videos play faster. Um, right. <laughs> um, but those kinds of problems, like how well is this video streaming, especially for a service provider, uh, have become really challenging, particularly with the rise of end-to-end encryption, right? Because all yeah. these service providers can see are, you know, bits flying by on the wire, but, you know, they actually can't even oftentimes see what are you know, what the bits are, you know, right. uh, they can just see bits flying by. And so now you've got a problem of inference, which is essentially a machine learning problem, right? So you basically take a whole bunch of features and you figure out what features, you know, could feed a model that could predict things like what's the resolution of that video or did that video just rebuffer, um, And then building a model that generalizes across services, right? Because the service provider isn't just streaming Netflix. It's streaming Netflix and YouTube and Facebook and Amazon Instant Video and Hulu and Twitch and Spotify and so forth. And, um, you know, you can't actively measure the performance of every single application out there. You need basically a way of of doing general inference. And that becomes a pretty interesting uh, machine learning problem. Um, so that's performance and security. Those are sort of the classical, you know, network uh, service mm-hmm. provider problems. Sure. There are others, though, too. I mean, we can talk about, you know, activity recognition, right? Like what are people, you know, doing in their homes, right? And that sounds potentially spooky from a privacy perspective. Yeah. But there are, uh, there are potentially positive benefits there, too, right? If you think about um, home security, Right. Some service providers are increasingly selling like home security systems. Right. And there could also be um, personal health kinds of implications there too. service provider, even like your conventional Internet service providers are getting into the areas of personal health. And, you know, it so happens you can learn a lot about someone's daily patterns of life from watching network traffic in the home. And um mm-hmm subject to the privacy considerations there that obviously we need to solve there are there are some interesting new opportunities for service providers in in those kinds of spaces as well yeah Um, another
1: another thing that you talked about uh in your paper was that there are some challenges in moving from the lab um, with these machine learning models over to real world deployments can you talk a little bit about what some of those challenges are in um, real world deployment of machine learning applications?
2: Absolutely. So in a a lab setting, often what happens is researchers may get a clean labeled trace of network traffic, right? And it's, uh, you know, it's bounded in time and in scale and in traffic rate. And it's nicely labeled, depending on whatever the activity is, you know, it might be, this is a YouTube stream. Right. Um, it's not mixed with other traffic, right? There's a million things going on in a, you know, a, a service provider subscriber's home, right? Uh, in addition to watching YouTube, they're probably doing 10 other things on the internet at the same time from opening the fridge to, you know, browsing the web. Right. Uh, right. And, you know, in a lab setting, you don't have to deal with, you know, all the the factors that come in with, you know, the traces aren't are clean, right? So that's... Mm-hmm. That's certainly one, one aspect, but um, I would sort of boil it down to scale, right? So a service provider, um, it, you know, a large service provider would be dealing with tens of millions of subscribers. Mm-hmm. And so something that works well on a single trace of, of network traffic in a lab may work less well when it scales to tens of millions of subscribers. Right. Rates are getting faster, the traffic rates, right? So it's one thing okay. to sort of build a model and demonstrate its efficacy on an offline trace where you've got, you know, essentially infinite time to train the model and, and apply it. Right. But if you've got like tens of millions of subscribers, each of which each of which may have hundreds of megabits per second of network capacity, not that they're necessarily using all that capacity all at the same time, but you get the idea. The rates are, are more than just, Here's an offline packet capture in the lab, and you know the model seems to work well. Um, this sort of brings uh, uh, oh, so one final point there is is when to retrain a model, right? Doesn't really come up in a lab setting. You got an offline trace, you train it once, and then you apply the model, and yeah, it seems to work. But over time, a service provider might might notice drift in the model, right? So if the model's like predicting errors or not predicting, you know, errors in, in the network operation, then the question is, is it a problem with the network? Or is it a problem with my prediction model, and and that becomes a, a serious problem too for, for for providers.
1: Okay, yeah, I was just going to ask if um, time of day would also be another potential challenge. Um, you know, when people are at work versus when they're at home, and then they're using you know more bandwidth when they get home.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think this contributes to the to the scale and and speed problems. Again, I think mm-hmm. something that works well for a handful of traces in the lab, uh, it's a completely different problem when you scale it up to, to tens of millions of homes, all of which may be sending data at the same time. More computing may need to happen at the edge of the network, maybe even in the subscriber homes, because you can't afford right. to necessarily pull all of that traffic back to a central place to either train or apply the models.
0: Mm-hmm. This is a good place to kind of, um, uh, to, to, to break. Let's, uh, let's, uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about, um, you know, you've talked about some of the, uh, issues that come up with taking these models from the lab to the real world. Now let's talk about, uh, potential solutions that could get us there. And then, uh, and then maybe some, uh, some real world applications. We will be right back on the light reading podcast. Know the jungle as it fools, and I just gotta keep it cool. And I'll be treated like a tool,
1: so don't be acting like a are acting like a fool.
0: Welcome back to the Light Reading Podcast. Our guest today is Nick Feemster at the uh, University of Chicago in the uh, Computer Science Department. And uh, before we get back into our topic about uh, network analytics and AI and machine learning, um, Nick, really quickly, we wanted to uh, get a bit of a plug out there for uh, the uh, Center for Data and Computation at the University of Chicago in terms of uh, something you guys, you guys are looking for industry partners, right?
2: That's right. As I mentioned, uh, the center is basically looking for um, all all kinds of applications of data science and artificial intelligence across a range of disciplines. And, um, you know, as as the focus point for data science and and machine learning research on the campus, uh, we're really looking to engage uh, leaders from industry and government and, and academia. Um, and one of the sort of central uh, points here is that we are actively seeking industry partners to this effect. In fact, uh, we're, we're, we'd like to identify some founding industry uh, affiliates and members to help us kick off our relationships with industry in this area.
0: Okay, so this would be companies that uh, you know not only have uh, artificial intelligence, you know, the the need to uh, uh, create and and. Maybe develop specific applications. Um, what What are some other sort of goals an organization would would want to have to to uh, to seek you guys out and work with you?
2: Yeah, I think basically there are, there are a number of uh, a number of things. So uh, one, as as you mentioned, is you know companies who are basically applying data science to to the problems that they're solving. Um, you know those those types of companies would be quite interesting. I think also. Uh, companies, or organizations that are providing software uh, to help uh, so, uh, to help address problems in d- data science and machine learning uh, are also companies that could uh, th- that we would love to engage. Uh, as far as ways to engage, I think there are, there are a number of, of ways that that we could bring industry partners into our center. Uh, one of the one of them, uh, I think, that's right at the forefront is the ability to work. With uh, faculty at the university and uh, our students on cutting-edge research problems, so it's often um, you know t- challenging sometimes to make contact with uh, the 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 people doing the cutting-edge research. And one of the right. things that we'd like to do is help our industry partners make those connections. And uh, another way to engage, I think, is which relates is you know we're we're certainly quite eager to. Um, to engage in identifying workshop topics and and other um, and other types of events, which could ultimately help industry partners recruit talent.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes that makes sense for sure. I mean, and th- that is the kind of the um the, the the point of all this too is that you you get this um, this nice cycle of uh you know of folks who are networking in the same areas. You know, and they're not only watching other people work and you know keeping up with research, but they're also um, you know, just staying in touch with people who are in the field, which I mean, I think is in a lot of telecom areas. Um, I mean, you know, Kelsey probably knows this better than any of us because when she's looking at, uh, and talking to uh, potential speakers for conferences, sometimes the, the number of people in a given field, there just aren't that many of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you have to really, uh, you have to really know where to look to, to find people who are actively practicing a specific discipline.
2: Yeah, that's right. So I think basically the, you know, making those connections ultimately helps the students and the, and the researchers and engaged in the center as well. And I think one of the other, uh, the, one of the other challenge areas, um, is, is in networking particularly, but I, I think across disciplines is access to data sets. And I think basically that's another topic area where, um, or or another touch point, I should say, that that becomes increasingly important uh, for university researchers. Because as we know, uh, in some of these areas, uh, the models uh, depend on having access to uh, significant quantities of labeled data uh, or significant quantities of data. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're going to basically develop the next generation of tools and solutions in these areas, then it's important to work with industry, uh, not only so that we can identify the important problems um, looking ahead, but also so that we can, um, you know, so that we can have the data and systems uh, to work with so that ultimately the solutions we develop are useful in practice. mm
0: mm-hmm sounds good um so before the break we were talking about um you know some of the uh, challenges that are happening with um, uh as you're looking at the uh in the lab uh you know machine learning applications and some of the challenges of sort of moving those uh to the real world um what's the what are your uh what's your research sort of finding as as uh, uh, and i think i think actually you 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 uh, open my eyes a bit to the, the, the scale issue, you know, that, that you, that's, that's very hard to replicate, you know, in any kind of lab environment that service providers sort of have to, they have to deal with on a, on a daily basis. That's, that's definitely um, one of those issues. Um, What is your research sort of revealing in, um, in ways to overcome this, uh, this, this challenge and, and, and being able to make machine learning, you know, useful for network operators. Uh,
2: that's that's a good question. I think um, I think one thing we've learned so far, I think, is the importance of of sometimes working backwards, right? Because, and by that I mean working backwards from the problems uh, and and the the questions that operators have, uh, because uh, machine learning. Uh, solutions ultimately provide some kind of output, right? And often that's a prediction, right? That might be a prediction of performance or a prediction that a failure occurred, uh, or
0: right.
2: a prediction that an attack is underway. And um, that's fine, but ultimately, you know, what those systems do is just generate more alarm bells. And, you know, service providers have enough alarm bells <laughs> Yeah. Uh, they, don't, <laughs> they don't need to know necessarily that, you know, a subscriber in this particular block, you know, just had their Netflix stream rebuffer.
1: Um, that, I want
2: them to know. <laughs> ultimately you That's know, right. sort of, uh, feed into something that produces some actionable outputs. Otherwise you've just got more lights on a dashboard. And, um, right. you know, I think basically you ask for solutions and I think, um, That's not a solution, although part of, I guess I could say part of the solution is realizing that you have a problem. (laughs) And I I think, um, you know, this is something that that we're, you know, very quickly discovering as we work on these types of solutions is that, you know, it's not just enough to raise alerts. You need actionable outputs.
0: Yeah. It, it's, it's also, I guess it's about getting the, when you say actionable outputs, it's about getting the data in a form that service providers can go. Well, like you said about the, the rebuffering thing is a great example. It's a, it's such a um, a minor level problem to an individual subscriber. It may be a pain for them, you know, in the moment, um, but there's no need for, you know, them to necessarily take action. The system will probably correct itself. Um and and so what but but if but if enough people have that problem then it needs to escalate to a level you know maybe there is actually a network uh you know a a blockage and outage something yeah. something that's that's going to result in a performance problem and it's like how do they how do they get that threshold of information in just the right way so that they're not just Inundated with. That's right. Something's happening. Something's <laughs> happening. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's right.
2: And, and this—I mean—you asked about solutions too. I mean, this is something where I think um, it's—you see differences from the lab setting to the field, and also I think yeah. it points to some some interesting solutions because longitudinal trends, in other words, trends that that sort of play out over time, can provide really important clues. And conventionally, when you know we've applied machine learning, you know in this in this field to the lab to various kinds of you know performance and security problems, we haven't looked at longitudinal data, right? Because you get a data set, and then uh, you work with the data set, you build the model, and you know it looks okay. But one of the things that's sort of interesting here is um, is a is the potential to apply historical data and look at those trends over time, like hmm. Well, this looks uh, interesting, but it also looks different than, you know, last Tuesday night, right, Mm -hmm. when this neighborhood was all streaming Netflix. So not only, you know, does it look unusual, but it also looks unusual with respect to what usually happens. And um, again, I think this is more of an insight and sort of pointing towards, you know, where, where interesting solutions may occur because, you know, the solution isn't yet at hand. And one of the reasons it's not yet at hand is that the area of, of machine learning data science more more broadly is, is still getting its hands um, dirty, if you will, in in terms of dealing with time series data. And a lot of the techniques don't uh, naturally apply to, to time series, uh, but I think uh, this is an area where the problems also will help us drive ahead in terms of you know, developing new uh, data analysis and machine learning techniques to help us recognize those those longitudinal outliers. So okay.
1: you mentioned that um, you know service providers wouldn't necessarily want to deal with every alert like your Netflix rebuffering, but what are some ways in which they can utilize machine learning to improve um, some facet of customer experience?
2: That's a great question. It comes back a little bit to the first part of our discussion where we were talking about, you know, in the old days, it was all about reachability and, you know, throughput. Um, and then we're slowly working our way up the stack, right? We're, mm-hmm. You know, we talked a little bit about inferring application performance, like uh, rebuffering of a stream. But your question was about uh, about user experience, which I think is it's really interesting. Uh, and it's an area where I think machine learning could offer a huge potential. Right. Because the types of things that we can measure in the middle of the network, right? Like latency or packet loss or you know, retransmits or things of this nature
0: mm-hmm.
2: are a little bit divorced from, you know, I'm going to call tech support, right? Or I'm going to stop watching this video or I'm going to, you know, rate, rate the experience one star. Right. Mm-hmm. Um And there's going to be no closed form, you know, clean equation that, that, that leads us, you know, to connect those dots, right? Oh, if packet loss is, you know, above this percent and latency is, you know, higher than this, then, you know, someone's going to rate one star or call text. That's just, there's, there's no such equation. Mm -hmm. Okay. On the other hand, this is the type of relationship that, uh, that, machine learning models can learn. And I think one of the things that I think huge potential for service providers, right, who really don't like it when it, when their customers call tech support because customers are typically angry and also it, it, it eats into the profit margins, right? It's yeah. costly when, when customers call tech support. So, you know, better if we could help the users uh, help themselves.
1: Help me right? help you. Or, <laughs> <Kind of>. yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we're also... Automatically solve some of these problems uh, before before it reaches such a state. Here's an example, right? Is uh, you know, could I basically notice that you know the user's having a bad experience, and that goes beyond just the rebuffer? But hey, the user just you know, based on what I can see, I can predict that they're going to be unhappy, and maybe not only that, I could I could maybe figure out that the reason they're unhappy. Right is you know ultimately due to the fact that their Wi-Fi access point is like placed in you know under the bed or you know in the closet in the basement, um, and um, you know you open up the the browser to call your ISP and, and you know instead of getting the phone number you, you know maybe you get this solution right away like hey we noticed that um, things <laughs> don't, don't look so good play. for you maybe you should try <laughs> you know one of these three things first yeah right? and so. I think there's huge potential both to sort of make the user happier, mm-hmm. right? Because no one likes to sit on hold or, you know, talk to the frontline tech support. And it's right. a win-win because the, you know, the service providers, you know, would rather not field those calls as well. It's costly for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and uh, speaking of, I mean, this is this is an area that's, this might be the most selfish question of all, but uh, <laughs> when, when we do talk to service providers, um, it's amazing to me how much data that they have access to not just from our network performance of our devices and the services we subscribe to and all of that, but our you know our data as consumers and for whatever reason I and, and th- again this might be this might be me just uh, a question in the form of a complaint but <laughs> it's it's always strange to me that the service providers as you call for a problem they, or, and they escalate the problem, they never seem to, uh, have any of the data in front of them for whatever's going on, but they also never seem to be able to, um, anticipate, you know, you as the subscriber, you might be calling in from, you know, they might recognize your phone number, but like, they don't know they, you have, you still have to go through all the stuff about who you are as a customer, what you subscribe to, what the issue is and that sort of thing. If you get transferred, it resets itself. You have to do it all over again. And it seems like, wow, that's interesting that that we've got all these tools that can measure the network in such granularity, but when it comes to, you know, s- saving those steps, they don't seem to be able to to connect those dots for some reason. Um, is is there is there a way to get that network data? You know, either. I, I guess on the front line I guess we could get it to the consumer in terms of self-help like you said but maybe we could also get it to the call center somehow
2: yeah no you've, you sort of touched on um, you know s- structural organizational issues and and how data flows through through the organization which um, you know in a sense um, you know we could certainly tie it back to the to the broader problems of of just managing data and, and dealing with, 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 um, with large amounts of data. Um, mm. I think, you know, not having worked in a call center, we can certainly only speculate here, but, you know, certainly having talked talk to many network operators and service providers, um, you know, it's often not a problem of gathering data, right? Or even measuring the network. Huh. That's fairly well in hand. Uh, right. It's rather a problem of making sense of the data that's being gathered, right? There's too much data, right? Often, as, we, as we've as we already talked about, not only there's too much data, there's too many alerts based right. on the data. So um, <clears throat> who knows? It may not even be the case that, you know, the call center doesn't have that information. But if you're overwhelmed with with lots of information, it can be mm-hmm. hard to figure out what's most important and what's most actionable. And I think... This is where, you know, data science can 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 certainly help us again, right? Is is, is that you know, it's not just a question of gathering the data mm-hmm. or, or warehousing it, right? Or even running simple database queries against the data, right? It's give me the insights, tell me what's important. Tell me what this you know, what problem this customer, you know, really seems to be having based on the information that. That we have, um, so that we don't have to start from square one every time.
1: Is that where the issue of eliminating dirty data and also having better processes for labeling data comes into play? That's something else that you touched on a little bit, in, in the paper we read.
2: Absolutely, I think you know. I mean, starting with uh, better labels, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is this is key, right? Because a lot of a lot of machine learning uh, problems, in particular in the area of classification, they, they depend on having good labels, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, to give you an example, right? I mean, at its core, a lot of these problems are, are just predicting outcomes based on a trained model. And um, if you've trained the model using certain labels, you're not gonna get it's not magic you're not gonna get anything but the label you know right. predictions about the labels you got out mm-hmm. so let's say let's say my you know labeled data um doesn't say anything about user experience right mm-hmm. let's say it has nothing about whether the user's happy or unhappy or whether they you know called the service provider right. maybe we the only thing we have is um I don't know throughput or something mm-hmm. right well then no model is going to you know, uh, result in the types of predictions that are ultimately gonna be useful for the service provider in terms of actionable outputs. Mm -hmm. The trick is like, how do you get those labels, right? (laughs) How do you know when a user's unhappier? Mm -hmm. You know, presumably they have records about when when they've called. But you know, there's a whole bunch of uh, scenarios where in order to train those models, you have to get the labels uh, in the first place. And getting labels about user experience, um, as we know, um, it's tricky because short of the user calling, you just have to ask, mm-hmm. right? And there's a yeah. cost to doing that as well. Mm-hmm. There's a whole area of machine learning called active learning where, you know, they're looking at ways to, you know, you know when should the algorithm ask, you know, for the data to be labeled? And in this case, it would be when would you ask the user, right, about their experience? Mm-hmm. You obviously don't want to do it every time, but if you, if you do it at the right times, you can get better labels,
1: does some of that come from those surveys that they asked me to complete at the end that I never want to complete?
2: <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. So, so you have no one to blame but
0: yourself. Oh, no, uh, oh, this is all your fault, I'm Kelsey. Sorry. I knew it. See, I knew this would all come down to you know her, her not filling out the thing. You know. Well, I'm glad uh, we solved
1: um, it. So now, you know. I know.
0: That's now right. we, now, now, right. now so the, the service providers
2: fill out a survey.
0: Uh, I think <laughs> Now Think about they, the greater good. <laughs> they're all like smacking their their heads right now, going, "Oh, now we see the problem." It was it was if we could just get her to fill the damn form out, we'd be fine. <laughs> all right, uh, hey Nick, we we're we're gonna break uh, here, and uh, and I say break because I, I definitely want to have you back on the podcast. We've we've just touched the surface of some of these uh, uh, areas where um, service providers can be using uh, machine learning and uh, but before we uh before we go what's uh where's a good place for folks to find your latest writing and uh, you know at, uh, and papers on on this topic what's a uh, is there the what's the best place for them to to visit and sort of keep up with your work
2: absolutely so there there are a couple of different places uh, to look uh, probably the easiest place is my, my research website. And that's pretty findable. If you just into any search engine, you could certainly type my name, Nick Feemster, then, uh, or Nick Feemster Chicago, then
0: um, okay. my
2: research website will come up. The other place that I'd encourage people to check out is the Center for Data and Computing website. And that's um, C-D-A-C, cdac.uchicago.edu. And uh, we're in the process of putting up more, um, more projects and data science uh, research there, uh, both mine and and lots of other projects, both in the area of uh, communications networks uh, as well as a, a wide variety of other topics as well. So if people are interested in learning more, that's another place to go.
0: Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for uh, for joining us on the Light Reading podcast, uh, Kelsey. Thanks uh, thanks for sure. your uh, help gonna as well. I'm
1: going to go uh, fill out a survey now.
0: <laughs> okay, thanks. good. We can, thanks, we can solve yeah, up this data pleasure. problem. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Light Reading Podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by Tian in New York. Our show notes are all available at LightReading.com. As a reminder, you can get the Light Reading Podcast from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and dozens of other platforms and apps. Thanks again for listening, and thanks for getting your telecom news from LightReading.com.